slaves. Well, about 140 years ago, somewhere around in there, there was a very dark, rainy, gloomy day. And there was a Scottish preacher named Alexander White, and he was known for his uplifting prayers. And so on this particular Sunday morning, this dark, rainy, gloomy day, he was going to begin the service as he always did, standing up and beginning with a prayer. And one of the church members was thinking, well, there's no way the preacher's going to find anything to thank God for on a dark, rainy, gloomy day like this. Much to his surprise, when Alexander White started his sermon, started his prayer, he began with the following words, Lord, we thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Look, life is hard and life is difficult, and it will always come at sometimes the worst times, those difficult moments seem to pile up. But life is not always hard, and it's not always difficult. Even in the worst situation, we can always find about 60 seconds of good. And for many of us, we can find 60 minutes or 60 hours of good. It's not always gloomy. There's always an opportunity to see the good. There are times when the sun is bright. There's always a little something, something that we can be thankful for. Always. Always. The prophet Habakkuk was having a gloomy time in life. There was a lot of stuff going bad. There was sin all over his country. It was overrun with sin everywhere he looked. And he... He begged God. He was praying to God, God, will you please do something? And God said, well, a wicked nation is coming to take over. But that didn't cause Habakkuk to feel thankful. He didn't start walking and leaping and praising God for that news from heaven. But he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying. And as he kept praying, he began to remember who God is, the creator, the ruler, the sustainer of the universe. And as he remembered that, his gloom lifted. His gloom lifted. Sure, his gloom came back, and it will for all of us. Gloom comes and goes. But as he remembered God, his gloom would lift. He started thinking, you know, I need to help myself remember that. And and so he wrote something down to help him remember, to help us remember. He wrote a a prayer, a a poem, a song. And it wasn't just any old prayer, any old poem, any old old song. He, He wrote a song of exciting victory. Now, how can a guy write an exciting song of victory when he just heard that his nation was about to be taken over. How could he do that? Well, let's find out. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Did the Lord's rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made bare, the rods of chastisement were sworn, Selah. 
you cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. The imagery here is, is thick. God is God over all of creation. As the song says, the mountains bow down and the seas roar when they hear the name of the Lord. But there's also some image of history here. The Hebrew people out in the wilderness in a no-win situation. Two miles of water in front of them. They couldn't cross it. And they couldn't turn around and go back because their enemy was fast on their heels. There was no way out. And the people caught in this situation felt paralyzed with fear and anger and anxiety. They kept reading the enemy updates on social media and they couldn't believe how much ground they were gaining. And they turned to their leaders and said, what did you do? Why did you bring us out here? Were the cemeteries not big enough back home? Did you need more land to bury all of our bodies? You remember when you came to us with this plan? Remember how we told you we didn't like your plan? How we thought your plan would never work and we wanted you just to leave us alone? Remember that? We would have been better off as slaves back in Egypt. Because now we're out here in the middle of nowhere and we're going to die. How do you respond when things don't go the way you want them to go? Do you turn to God or do you turn against God? Now, most of us would say none of us radically turn against God. It's more casually turning against God. We keep going to church. We, we keep live streaming the service. We, we stay engaged. But most of the week, we're prideful and grumbling and complaining and fearful. So we, we kind of casually turn against God with our attitudes. The enemy soldiers were coming. And God's people were afraid and they were a little bit angry. And listen, it's okay to be afraid every now and then, all right? It, it is. It's not always wrong to be afraid. If you're in the drive-thru at the Double K Ranch and all of a sudden the hot donut sign turns off, it's okay to be afraid. It is. It's all right. If your son comes to you and says, hey, Dad, I'm going to make a Nazarite vow and I'm not going to cut my hair for three years, it's okay to be afraid. It is. If your daughter comes to you and says, Dad, those jeans that I want, it's okay. We can finance them on the Dolce & Gabbana credit union for only 46 weeks. We can do that, Dad. It's okay to be afraid in that moment. There's, there's moments for us to be afraid, but, but they need to be the right moments. Ed Welch said this, As creatures living in a sinful world, we should be afraid at times. The problem is when fear forgets let me make a stipulation here because there's a lot of popular signs out today that say faith over fear. That's, that's not what's happening here because that's, that's a catchy phrase. But you can have faith over fear and still forget God. 
Because you can begin to forget God by being prideful in your faith. It's, it's possible to do. We have examples throughout the Bible, particularly in the time of Jesus. So we're talking about being afraid or, or being angry and forgetting God in our fear, forgetting God in our anger. What Habakkuk is describing is a moment when God's people were afraid, but they were forgetting God. They were forgetting who God was. Now, to be fair, their fear was crazy real, okay? I mean, there was no way out. Things looked really, really bad, and it was possible things were getting ready to get really, really worse. At the, at the very least, they might be thrown back into slavery, and it was possible that some of them, in just a few moments, were about to feel the thrust of spears and swords. So they turned around and they were looking for the enemy and and they heard something stirring behind them. And and they turned around to see something they they couldn't explain. That that, that two miles of water, all of a sudden the the water was, was creeping up on the left side. And it was creeping up on the right side. All of a sudden the water was going up and, and right down the middle was this clear path. It wasn't a muddy, nasty path. It was a dry path, a path of salvation. And the people screamed out, a boy, Moses? Man, that was amazing. We knew you had it in it all along. No. But they knew that whatever they were watching was beyond human ability. Exodus 14.31 says this, When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. In their hearts and their minds, and maybe even down to their knees, they, they bowed in reverence and fear of the Lord. God pushed back the sea, He made a dry path. He rescued his people with his own power. He did it. There was no way out except through him. And so Habakkuk, he knew that a day was coming when God's people were going to be up to their necks again. And so he wanted them to remember. To remember who God is, to remember what God has done, and to remember what God has promised. He wanted them to So how about a a quick little multiple choice? I'll give you the answers and then I'll give you the question. A, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. B, watching Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. C, listening to talk radio or political podcast. D, remembering God. Which one gets most of your attention during the week? Which one gets the the majority of your affection during the week? Here's the thing. Remembering God, remembering who he is, what he's done, what he has promised, remembering God in that way, it is energy for your mind, it is comfort for your heart, and it is healing for your soul. Let me repeat this. It is energy for your mind, it is comfort for your heart, and it is healing for your soul. Listen closely. Fox News cannot give you that. TikTok cannot give you that. Podcasts and talk radio cannot give you that. 
this sounds a bit blasphemous. Hot donuts cannot even give you that, okay? There is nothing in this world that will help your mind and your heart and your soul like the living God. And so as believers, why would we stab ourselves all week long and not remember our God? If remembering our God is good for our mind and our heart and our soul, hey, be selfish this week. Be good to yourself. Remember God. Remember who He is. Remember what He's done. And look, you're going to do those other things, but do them in moderation. And when you're doing them, remember God. When you're watching the news, remember God. When you're listening to talk radio, remember God. When you're listening to that podcast, remember God. When you are eating or watching or listening or whatever you do, remember God. Remember Him. Remember who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised. Job was an extremely wealthy man. He probably lived about... 2,400 years before Jesus was born. Job lost 20,000 head of livestock, some to lightning, some to thieves. He lost most of his employees, some to lightning, some to murderous thieves. And he lost all 11 of his children in a tragic windstorm. And the Bible's account of his life says all of these things happen on the same day. Job lost just about everything, but he didn't lose his faith. He didn't forget God. Job 13, verse 15, he says this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. (laughs) What a crazy statement, right? I mean, Even if you slay me, God, I will trust you. What causes a man to make a statement like that, that if we're honest, sounds insane? Well, see, Job could make that statement because he knew God. He didn't know about God. He knew God. Job knew that God was holy that he was sovereign, that he was long-suffering and patient. He knew that God was just and right and good. He knew that God was caring, and he knew that God's love was from everlasting to everlasting, from horizon to horizon, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. His love never stopped. Job knew he could trust God. He knew he could trust God. I read a fantastic quote this week from Jen Wilkin. She said this, God promises to deliver his people no matter what. Just, just chew on that. God promises to deliver his people no matter what. If you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus as your primary hope, for life and primary hope in death, then God, the one true God, 
has promised that your salvation is perfectly and completely secure. So, do you know the God that has made that promise? Do you know that God? Not do you know about Him, but do you know that God? Let me put it another way. When life is falling apart around you, do you know how to preach the gospel to yourself? Can you do that? Can you preach the gospel to yourself? When, when you're stuck in traffic and you're in the car and, and the stress and the fear of everything happening in life just feels like it's overwhelming you, can you out loud as you sit in the car say to yourself, Christ died for my sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. He is risen indeed. Can you put a mask on and and stand in a store or go to work or go to church and and behind that mask kind of whisper to yourself, God so loved me. He so dearly prized me that behind this mask, social distance, my heart can say, God gave his only son for me. Can you preach that to yourself? When you're sitting at home on the sofa and your kids will not be quiet, or when you're sitting at home on the sofa and your spouse has given you the silent treatment, can you say to yourself in that moment, I was dead in my sin, but God has made me alive in Christ. He has forgiven me. He's taken the debt of my sin and he's canceled it. He's nailed it to the cross and I bear it no more. Friend, can you preach that to yourself? Because let me tell you something. You need to. You need to. If you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, you are a preacher. Preach to yourself in 2020. Preach to yourself outside of a mask and behind a mask. Preach the gospel to yourself. It is good for your heart. It is good for your mind. It is good for your soul. It will remind you not to forget what God has done for you, regardless of what you can't do. The gospel is good news of great joy for all people, including you. So preach it to yourself. Habakkuk continues to worship. Listen to verses 11 and 12. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. The Bible records the historical count of one of Joshua's battles from about 3,200 years ago. And in that battle, God stopped the sun and the moon so that his people could win. (laughs) Crazy, right? God made sure that it didn't go dark so that they could see and they could win the battle. 
Time after time after time after time, God gives his people victory after victory after victory after victory. But here's what we do. We forget that. We forget it. And then that that one time that it seems like God didn't help us win, we, we turn against him. We, we win 11 games, but we lose the championship. And we say, God, what, what'd you do wrong? Why'd you, why'd you let us down? And yet, bless our hearts, we're so ignorant. We're so foolish. We don't even realize that the loss in God's economy was a win. <laughs> because God promises to deliver his people no matter what. he does it time and time and time again. So I would encourage us this week, boy, let's, let's be thankful for the victories because if we're not careful, we will curse God for the one time it feels like we're losing and we'll ignore all of the grace that he gives us day after day after day. I had this weird thought this morning. Um, it's just a personal thing, you know, if I'm going to spend money on something, it's going to be food, air conditioning, and hot water. It just is. Now, those, those are three non you know, essentials for me, non-negotiables. But, you know, there was this moment this morning when I remembered, I don't know when it was, it was sometime in the last couple of years, something, something went wrong with our water, you know. Um, God, Stuart, I think it was when the thing broke outside, and I called you going, oh, dude. It's miserable when you turn the faucet on and there's no water. It, it is. It's crazy. I don't know the numbers right now, but, but do you know how many people in the world don't have clean water to drink? And we'll freak out if the water's out for an hour. You know, I did. God gives us water after water after water. He gives us hot water. He gives us lights and electricity. He gives us air conditioning and heat and blankets. He gives us hot donuts. And, and yet, when something goes wrong, we're so tempted, as the hymn says, we're prone to wander and leave the God who loves us from everlasting to everlasting. God is a God who gives victory. That's what he does. Is that your God? Or are you familiar with the God who gives victory? Or is God more like Santa Claus to you? You know, a really nice, good older man that sometimes gives goodies. God's a really nice older man, but he, he doesn't really part seas and, and make land dry. He's a super nice older man, but but he didn't really cause the sun and the moon to stop. He's a super nice older man, but he doesn't really send his son to substitute himself for selfish people like me and like you. God's a, he's a nice older man, but he would never be like what Habakkuk describes next. Listen to verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. 
you struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Selah. There's a Sunday morning praise and worship song, right? Verse 14. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. Again, just strong language of victory. God is not a passive God. God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. God is a God who loves from everlasting to everlasting. But God is not a pushover. And God will deal with sin, and he will deal with it completely. About 500 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Haman who really wanted to be in charge of the country. But he was a wicked man. He hated God's people so much that that he wanted them dead, and he built some gallows to hang them from, but his story changed. And the end of his story was that he was actually hung from those gallows. God will deal with wickedness. He may not deal with it on your timetable. He may not deal with it on my timetable. God may not deal with perceived wickedness by January 20th. God may not deal with perceived witness, witness, wickedness by the end of, Jan- of 2020. God may not deal with wickedness when we think he should deal with it, but he will deal with it. You can be certain God will deal with wickedness. He always has. He always will. Habakkuk knew that wickedness was coming. He knew that a crisis was coming. He knew things were we're going to get bad. And what was he going to do in the middle of the crisis? This is great. He knew. He's told, hey, crisis is coming. So what's he going to do? When the middle of the crisis, he's going to remember. He's not going to forget. He's going to remember the one that parted the waters. He's going to remember the one that stopped the sun and the moon. He's going to remember the one that stepped forth to save his people. He's going to remember the one who was and is and is to come. What do we need to remember this week? Maybe we need to remember what I'm sure Habakkuk would remember, and that's the word of Moses to the people, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. What are you going to do when crisis comes? And it will come. What are you going to lay on your heart today, December 13th? What are you going to lay on your heart today to help you with the joys and the sorrows tomorrow? Habakkuk's describing incredible supernatural events, things that are beyond our imagination. Granted, things that we don't see with our own eyes these days. But, but why? Why did God do these things? Why are the, these historical Old Testament stories, why do they exist? These stories, this, these historical stories from the New Testament, why do they exist? Well, Bacchus already told us back in verse 13 what he said. 
He said they exist because God went forth for the salvation of his people. Those stories exist to remind us God did it through Moses. God did it through Joshua. God did it through Joseph. And then God gloriously, perfectly, completely, and eternally did it through the manger and through the cross and through the empty tomb. God will deliver his people no matter what. God has brought salvation through Jesus and that cannot be changed. Look at every other religion in the world. Look at their gods. Their gods are not like the God of Israel. Why? Because our God does not look at us and pay attention to us like he's watching some cowboy soap opera on Netflix. No, God steps into our suffering. God steps into the darkness. God steps into the gloom. What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a fair question, why? Why did God forsake Jesus? Why did, as the Bible say, why did God crush his son? The answer is is loud and clear, and it repeats over and over and over again. God did it to set you free. God did it to make a way for you to be rescued. God did it so that you could live forever. God did it so that today you can find grace in the middle of gloom. And what should that do to us? Listen to verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. And there's a lot in that one verse. He's, he's got the bad news. It's happening. So maybe he's trembling because he knows that the wicked folks are coming. And maybe he's trembling because he hears of how those wicked folks are ultimately going to be defeated. It's going to be brutal. Or maybe he's trembling because he's finally getting it. Can I just say that, you know, after 30 plus years of being a Christian, I feel like this year is like one of those first years where I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting things about God. And it's, it's exciting, you know? To be a Christian this long, and there's, there's some things I feel like I'm, I'm just getting. I think Habakkuk was just getting some stuff. He, he heard bad news, but he was, he was hearing about who God is. He was remembering who God was. This scene here is similar to what the prophet Isaiah experienced when he had his moment with God. He, he's there, and, and, and the ground, it was like an earthquake, which some of you felt a couple of days ago here in town, right? But the ground was shaking. 
there were these strange creatures swooping down on him. They were terrifying. And everywhere he looked, it was just smoke. And in that moment, how did he respond? When he was around the great I am, catching a glimpse of God, how did he respond? The Bible says that Isaiah said, Woe is me. He got low. He didn't raise his fists at God and say, God, answer my prayer. He didn't raise his hands and say, oh, let's sing a song about Jesus. This is great. No, when he got in the presence of God, he got low. Woe is me. He trembled before a holy God. He realized who God is. So what is God like? Well, God's loving. God is full of wrath. And God is kind. And he's severe. And God is tender. And he is terrifying. And all of that is good. Because if those things weren't true, then guess what? Your hope is in me. Or your hope is in the president. Your hope is in yourself. And I promise you, you don't want your hope in any of those places. But the God of the universe, in all of his fullness, in all of his character, he is your hope. So how do we respond to who God is? Well, we praise him, and boy, we tremble. We tremble. And dear Christian, we need to tremble a little bit. We need to tremble more at who God is. The the splendor and the power and the authority of God, it should scare us. Should The splendor, the power, and the authority of God, it should cause us to fear God. But here's the amazing thing about it. Not only should it cause us to fear Him, but we should be irresistibly drawn to Him. Somebody put it this way. God is the only good addiction. Because we're like, no, no, I can't. Oh, but I have to. No, I'm not worthy, but I must. I must get near this God. Woe is me, but oh, I want to worship someone this awesome. I want to be a part of something this big. Jeff Thomas said this, You and I need to shake ourselves because we can lose all credibility as the body of Christ if our own hearts cease pounding and our lips stop quivering and our legs no longer tremble. So, how's your credibility today? How's your trembling at the Lord? How's the credibility of the church today? Are churches trembling? Don't get confused. Not trembling before the economy. Not trembling before the government. Not trembling before a pandemic. Not trembling before an election recount. Not trembling before a holiday. But trembling before the God who broke into the darkness, the gloom, of sin and death. 
And in the little village of Bethlehem fulfilled his promise that he will deliver his people no matter what. God will deliver his people no matter what. In and through the baby in the manger, God will deliver his people no matter what. Dear friend, preach that over your TV this week. Preach that over your radio. Preach that over your phone. Preach that over your fear. Preach that over your anger. Our God will deliver His people no matter what. So, what should we do? We should come and worship. We should come and worship. Worship Christ the newborn king.